Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets that are important to you. I wanted to start this week's monologue by memorializing the British guitarist Jeff Beck and the American singer, guitarist, and songwriter David Crosby, both of whom we lost two weeks ago and last week, respectively. Jeff Beck was a member of the Yardbirds, the Jeff Beck Group, and Beck, Bogart, and the Peace, and David Crosby, in addition to being a solo artist, was a founding member of the Birds, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and of course, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Both of these musicians' cultural contributions to the world were so important and meant so much to so many people. They will absolutely be missed. Their music will live on and be discovered and enjoyed by generations to come. Rest in peace, Jeff Beck and David Crosby. Folks, you're listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast. I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. There are no ads on this program, and there is no Patreon set up for it. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners is if you love this podcast, and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily, and get yourself or the reader in your life some great fiction, please consider purchasing any or all of my books. I'm the author of 10 self-published novels that are all currently available worldwide in both paperback and ebook formats via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon, you can find and purchase all of my titles in ebook format at Google Play. Just search my last name, M-A-S-C-O-L-A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. the enemy listeners this is episode 264 of the people are the enemy podcast thank you so much for checking it out thank you for spending time with me oh we're gonna have fun today thought i'd start us off with a little joan jet or at least a karaoke version of joan jet and the black hearts i love rock and roll i was considering playing queen's uh Another one bites the dust, but then I said, "What are you? What are you doing?" And you can't play Queens. Another one bites the dust after you memorialize two gentlemen. <laughs> that would be in horrible taste. So here we are with Joan Jed. Okay, let me fade this down a little bit, and we'll get into it because I got some stuff to talk with you about today. All right, not bad. Not bad at all. Whew. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's going to be doing the show. It feels good. I love doing this show. I honestly do. I look forward to it all week. And it's uh, it's nice to be spending time. And thank you so much for spending time with me and listening to it. I got a new cell phone cover this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big news in my, in my world. <laughs> no, you know what happened? I don't know what prompted this. It must have been somebody saying something about a dirty cell phone cover. 
And I thought to myself, I wonder how dirty my cell phone cover is. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, I've got an iPhone and I have a very simple case for it. You know, this, uh, this, it's just like a backing, basically. The screens are made very resilient now. Remember, they used to be very flimsy and you would break very, very easily. But, uh, so, so, so for the last few years, I've survived with just like this, um, hard plastic outer shell, you know, with a, with an edge on it. So if it falls, you know, the, the, the glass doesn't, you know, get tapped and, and thereby broken. But if it does, you know, the glass again is very resilient. So it stayed, it's, it stayed pristine thus far, knock on wood. But I just thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to take off this cover and see what's doing underneath, <laughs> underneath and boy, oh boy. Holy moly, look, I'm telling you folks, if, if you if you have at all the urge to to take a look at the a cell phone covers backing, you know, your cell phone uh, your cell phone protector rather, after years of never having looked at it, don't don't do it in front of other people. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I and I I didn't fortunately do it in front of other people, but I pulled it off and oh my gosh. Holy moly, it was like a science experiment. And, and of course, you know, I why would you expect any less? The thing is, you know, against my face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, against my ear, it's in my hand, you know, it's in my pocket where dust and, you know, lint collects. Of course, it's going to be filthy. And yeah, it was filthy. I, I, I literally, like, you know, I took the cell phone cover off, saw what was doing underneath, and immediately on the cell phone ordered another cell phone cover. <laughs> because I said, this is, this is, this is vile. And that came this week and I, I you know, cleaned off my phone as, as, good as I could without obviously, you know, uh, d destroying it, you know, with a, with cleaner. I used a very gentle cleaner and uh, put the new cover on and I felt so much better walking away from it. I was just like, okay, this is a, uh, this is okay. We can live with this for now, you know, and of, and of course now it'll be in my mind walking around with the cell phone in my pocket. It's just getting dirtier and dirtier because <laughs> it's inevitable. But honestly, it, it gave me, a, it's going to give me a little peace of mind for a little while anyway. Holy moly. I, I think I told you last week. I know I told you last week. Uh, my wife was away. She's home. It's so nice to have her back. I, I picked her up at the airport. It was a very late night. I fortunately took the next day off of work. But, uh, yeah, she was not in a good mood. No, I mean, when I picked her up, I was, you know, I was, I was happy to see her. You know what I mean? I helped her get her luggage in the, helped her get her luggage. I put her luggage in the car. We drove home and she walked through the door and she was, she was not happy. And, and I think part of the reason was she was in a, you know, warmer climate and, uh, and we're here in New Hampshire, and I'm sure she's not happy to be home, you know what I mean, in terms of, like, the weather. She'd much rather be somewhere beautiful. It was beautiful where she was. Uh, South Carolina is where she'd, uh, she'd uh, ended up before her final trip back home. She'd gone on a cruise with her sisters. And, uh, and yeah, walking through the door, she's, like, looking around. She's like, this place is a mess. <laughs> and I wanted to say, lady... This place is cleaner than when you left. I literally, <laughs> I literally, you know, cleaned up, you know, after you left so that you would walk into a nice house and want to stay. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my God. I was telling my therapist about all this and my therapist, uh, that was this week. And my therapist is, you know, I was telling my therapist, like, I, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't shovel. We got snow. Uh, when my wife was gone, I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't change clothes. I basically just laid around because I was sad that she was gone. And my therapist was like concerned. And I was like, you know, I think that'd be a good sign. You know, if I'm unhappy when my wife's not around and my therapist was like, no, you, you really need to, to try to reach out to people and try to like, uh, get involved and try to make your life and yourself happier when, uh, in those moments when, when she's not around, like live your life and, and be your own person. And uh, I, I suppose she's right, you know. 
but uh, in the moment, I wasn't thinking about that. And speaking of therapists, this is this happened. <laughs> this happened this week. I didn't even write this down. I wasn't going to tell you about this because uh, it's it's kind of awkward and weird. But uh, here we are. Um, you know, I I I've been seeing a therapist for a while, and and, I, and it's not the first time. I've been seeing this one for for about three years now. Um, and it's about to end this summer as she's retiring, this woman that I've been seeing. But it's not the first therapist I've seen. I've seen a couple others, you know, in the last in the last 10 years. And uh, only twice in my life have I ever walked out of a, an appointment with a therapist and seen someone I know in the waiting room. <laughs> I'm not going to mention any names. Obviously, I, I, I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me, so I'm not going to do it to anybody else. But... Um, the first time it happened, it happened with another therapist, and uh, I walked out of there, and I see this person in the waiting room, and they look at me, and I look at them, and they say, hello, Andy. <laughs> and I said, hello, and it was their name. And the person I saw in the waiting room was, in part, the reason I was in therapy. <laughs> and they didn't know that, you know. And I didn't know that they were seeing the same therapist I was, and, uh, and it was just crazy. I was like, what are the chances? This person had, um, this person had, uh, had taken, had competed for something that I, I wanted very badly in terms of, um, in terms of a career. And they got it, and I didn't. And it, it was very, very painful. <laughs> uh... And the fact that they were also in therapy, um, you know, it said to me, it's like, oh man, well, I guess the grass isn't always greener. You know what I mean? Because they're, they're here and, and they got ultimately what I was striving for and that they wanted too. And uh, I'll never forget, I, uh, I went back to that therapist the next week and I said, hey, I saw blah, blah in your, in your waiting room. <laughs> I had no idea that person was coming here also and they said yeah and i started to laugh if only because i'd been talking about this person in there and uh at that point he kind of suggested that probably wasn't a good idea that i keep going to therapy <laughs> with him <laughs> and i concurred and i found somebody else that was so bizarre man so bizarre but i'll tell you this is a this is another situation by the way that was years ago that was years ago um th but this past week similar thing happened oh my couldn't believe this and um i had a therapy appointment and uh sat down and talked about uh, missing my wife and again my therapist suggesting that perhaps i should try to uh try to to uh, reach out to people and and uh, make the most of my time when my wife isn't around and uh finished the appointment and walked out of the office and into the waiting room and there was another person who had competed for something that I wanted career-wise and didn't get, and they got. And I thought, what are the effing chances? Different person, mind you. Um, this uh, this was a, years ago. This, uh, this person had uh, competed for something that I wanted, and they got it, and I didn't, and I was devastated. Um, and I just thought, what are the effing chances of this? And there they were. They were sitting there looking at their phone, and I don't remember, I couldn't, I don't remember the person's name now. It was that long ago. And I don't know if they remember my name. Uh, but I recognized them. 
And I was walking through the lobby and out the exit door, and I turned and said, Hello, stranger! <laughs> and then I laughed. And they looked up, and their mouth dropped open <laughs> when they saw me. And I don't know, maybe they didn't remember my name. And uh, I walked out of there and just thought, what, what the F are the chances of that? And, and again, this is something that happened years ago at a job. I'd had a, a couple jobs ago, so it's not... <laughs> So, if any of these people are listening, you know, it could be anybody, obviously, that they, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not, um, divulging anything. But, um, I couldn't, I just thought to myself, what the F are the chances of this? You know, that, that in part, these two reasons, like, the reasons in, in part from that I needed to go to therapy was because I was, you know, having a hard time dealing with failures. You know what I mean? In my, in my personal life, in my career. And, uh, and that I would see, two people who ultimately um, obtained something I wanted very badly and didn't get, and who I was not necessarily spiteful for, but just, you know, obviously, you know, you get a little bit of resentment and envy. You try to be a good sport and say, hey, congratulations. I wish you the best of luck in this new endeavor. Um, and they know that you were competing for it, you know. Uh but that they, they, I would see them both outside of a therapist's office is just uncanny and so, so strange. And if anything, it just hammers home that, you know, um, even when you get what you want, it doesn't mean your life is perfect. You know what I mean? And because um, obviously, you know, they were there for, for one reason or another and they needed to talk to somebody. So just, just wild. And I didn't, I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't mean to share that with you. But I thought uh, I thought I would. I wanted to play something fun for you. Now we should probably do that after after that seriousness. Uh, but uh, this is something I found and I really enjoyed. It's a, a woman on TikTok who has been a uh, who has been a uh, a record store a record store employee for eight years, and she was talking about some of the patterns and things she notices about the job, and I loved it as a record buyer and a music enthusiast and somebody who's worked in a record store myself, uh, I thought this was great and I wanted to share with you folks. So here, here it is. And I'll, 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 I'll share with you the woman's name. It's, it's a lovely young woman. Uh, looks to be in her probably mid twenties. Uh, and she's, she talks about being a record store employee and, uh, some of the patterns and things that she notices, uh, in, has been noticed in, in time. Check it out. So I've worked at a record store for like eight years and these are things I've observed during that time that I like and some things that are a little annoying so here we go. I feel this is probably at most record shops but the record we get asked for the most that we don't have in is anything Frank Ocean so uh, yeah he needs to press records like lots of them. Most of my job consists of just doing this. I should tell you at this point because this is the only visual part of it. Um, she is you know, if if you're look, you're if you ever looked at records, and I'm, I mean vinyl, you know, you pull them forward usually in the bin, and they kind of their weight kind of sits so that they're 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 um uh, they're on an angle toward they're angled toward you. And what she's doing now is pushing them back in the bin to demonstrate what she spends most of her time Please doing. Please stop doing that. There's a specific <laughs> like group like genre group of people that spend the most money. It easily goes to metalheads. Metalheads will drop like two hundred dollars on one album. People that to me is surprising, and it, it's not for any demographic reason. Uh, I don't, I don't, 
I just never considered like metal, like metal enthusiasts wanting to have the, the artists that they love, meaning, you know, heavy metal artists on vinyl. You know, it doesn't seem like a, a genre particularly tailored to that format, if only because it's very, very heavy music and you think you wouldn't be able to, uh, to rock out to it without bouncing the needle around. But yeah, supposedly, uh, according to this woman, uh, metalhead spending up to $200 on one record. Wow. All right, so let's listen. Here's some here's some more tidbits on uh, on some of the the information she's collected uh, working at a record store. People ask me like who's the worst kind of person that comes into a record shop, and the only one that really really sticks out truly are people who price match with Amazon. So I'm sure this only happens to people like my age, but when older people come in and they'll be like, I bet you don't know who this artist is, but I'm looking for, and then it's someone like Rod Stewart or Chicago or <laughs> Eric Clapton, like, like an artist that everyone freaking knows. It's, that's a weird thing, right? That, that an older person, uh, maybe of the boomer generation would assume that a younger clerk would not know an established artist. I don't know if that's because they assume that, uh, that those records are no longer around, that they've been eclipsed completely, because they've been eclipsed on, on radio and in culture, that they're no longer available, you know, to purchase in a physical format. But that's that's the only assumption I can make from that, uh, uh, from that assumption that they're making, that, that the uh, a younger record store clerk wouldn't know these established artists. Weird. Okay, here we go. People who ask for the Dave Matthews Band look like they're going to ask for the Dave Matthews Band. Oh my God! <laughs> Look at I've known some Dave Matthews fans in my life. Yeah, they're 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 uh, they're uh, unique individuals for sure. Um, the the ones that I'm thinking of in particular, and I'm sure this isn't true for every Dave Matthews band fan, but uh, you know, not necessarily self aware is the one 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 thing that I would I would say that I noticed about them. Another thing is. Uh, uh, not um don't identify sarcasm well or irony <laughs> you know uh yeah i you know i i can't say what her experience has been and again that's not every dave matthews fan fan uh but uh, a couple did have that trait in common that i that i know of here's some more information this is fun out of cult followings people who are deadheads are the nicest people taylor swift fans wild right I, that, that surprised me. I was like, oh my gosh. And yeah, I've known some some deadheads. Uh, yeah, that surprised me, man, that they would be the nicest people. But I suppose that maybe in that moment when you're out for the day, if you're a deadhead and you're in a record store, uh, you know, you are going to have a better you know chance of finding stuff that you're looking for, if only because that music is highly collectible and very... Um, ubiquitous you know what i mean i remember saying to, to one woman who was a, a patriots fan uh she loved the patriots and uh and i said boy uh it's uh it's hard to find the things that you love isn't it and i you know and she said not for me <laughs> so i suppose maybe that's it okay this is interesting she i'm gonna back it up just a bit because she talks about taylor swift out of here. cult followings people who are deadheads are the nicest people taylor swift fans are a flip of the coin they're either horrible or they're wonderful how about that, huh? Oh my god. Taylor Swift fans are a flip of the coin. They're either horrible or they're wonderful. That's interesting to me. I don't, you know, I I can't say like I'm an older I'm of an older age. My daughter is in her 20s 
but she is not a Taylor Swift fan, so it, I I don't know anybody that's a rabid. I know that she has a rabid fan base. I know that they call them the Swifties. I know that they can come after you if you come after her. Uh, that's one thing I do know. Uh, holy moly! But I I imagine that. Um, Maybe a flip of the coin. That's interesting. Anyway, so some interesting insight into people that are going to record stores from a person that works in a record store. And this woman, so you can look her up if you're interested, it goes by Kate Siamro. K-A-T-E-S-I-A-M-R-O. And she's uh, she's uh, she posted this this past week, and she's made this sort of like an ongoing thing where she uh, she gives you little little insights into working in a record store. And uh, that's that's her TikTok profile if you're interested. At this point, I hope you stay interested and stay tuned because I'm going to hand things off right now to our friend, Rachel from Des Moines, and she is going to give you the chart chat. So take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Before I get started, I wanted to share a great resource for chart fanatics, the Billboard Database at billboard.elpee.jp. You can track the Billboard Hot 100 performance of any charting single from 1959 to present, as well as albums on the Top 200 from 1963 to present. It's really an amazing resource. It even has graphs showing the chart positions over the weeks. That's billboard.elpee.jp. For our 70s chart this week, we're in January 13th of 1973. Starting off at number 98 is a song called Good Morning Heartache by Diana Ross. And that was from her movie Lady Sings the Blues, which is a biopic on Billie Holiday. And that was an Oscar-nominated performance by Diana Ross. So this was a soundtrack album from the movie, and it hit number one, uh, but Good Morning Heartache was the only single. Billie Holiday originally recorded the song in 1946 for the Decca label, and then again in 56. I couldn't find any chart positions for those, and Diana Ross's version made it to number 34, which I think is pretty impressive for like you know a classic vocal jazz in 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 73. The movie is good, but Diana Ross is really great in it. She really deserved that nomination and. Uh, Billy D. Williams also stars in it with her, and if you can track it down and watch it, I would recommend. At number 76, we have the UK group Slade with Mama, We're All Crazy Now, and that was its peak, 76. This was the first single from their third album, and it was number one in the UK. Slade are just one of those uh, bands that never quite clicked in the US. I would argue they're the most known for uh, Merry Christmas Everybody song though maybe people don't even know that's them this song I, I have to imagine is more well known to my fellow Americans from the Quiet Riot version from 1984 and they, Quiet Riot also covered another Slade song Come On Feel The Noise so if you like the those versions check out the original I also wanted to mention this is not an official chart pick but there's a song on the countdown this week called Woman to Woman by Joe Cocker and the Chris Staten Band, and the riff from it went on to be sampled in the song California Love by Tupac featuring Roger Troutman. At number 30, we have Dancing in the Moonlight by the group King Harvest. This would make it to number 13. And King Harvest was started by American expats in Paris who had been in a band together at Cornell in Ithaca, New York. 
The song was written by Sherman Kelly for his old band Buffalongo and given to King Harvest. I couldn't quite follow the Wikipedia page on what was going on with the band members, but um, this is their only hit, but very fun song, very enjoyable. At number 20, we have I Wanna Be With You by Raspberries. That would make it to number 16. This was the first single off of their second album entitled Fresh. Raspberries were from Cleveland. And to me, their stuff, I always like when they appear on the charts because they don't really sound like anything else that's going on at the time. It almost feels like they were taking some earlier pops. They were, you know, rediscovering or bringing back some earlier pop styles before other bands kind of jumped on the bandwagon of it. Definitely recommend if you're into power pop. This was their second biggest hit after Go All The Way. At number 18, we have High 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 by Wings, which will make it to number 10. This is the third single from Wings, and it was they were all non-album singles at this point. Um, but this one was included on reissues of the album Red Rose Speedway. I read that this song was banned by the BBC, not only for the drug reference in the title, but the, it was believed that the lyric, Get You Ready For My Polygon, was Body Gun which I don't even know which one is worse, but I thought that was funny. If you like Paul McCartney's stuff with the wings and with Solo, uh, he has a new singles compilation that is available digitally on Spotify, and it pretty much spans his whole career, and it includes the B-sides also, as well as harder to find, or stuff that was not on Spotify before is now included in that collection. Um, speaking of song censorship, uh, John Denver appears on the chart this week with his song Rocky Mountain High. And I would encourage uh, everyone, uh, whatever whatever your thoughts on John Denver or his music may be, he had a really tremendous testimony at the PMRC, Parents Music Resource Commission, <laughs> I don't know, hearings. And uh, the story goes that, uh, you know, they when he walked in, people probably assumed he was going to be, you know, on the senator's side or whatever, but he definitely spoke out in favor of, you know, freedom of expression in art and of, you know, parents doing their job if they don't want their kid to hear something versus that the government can say everybody can't hear something. And just more to the idea of that if people are seeking out certain types of music or entertainment to deal with something in their lives, that it's most important to deal with whatever that root issue is. So um, definitely look that up. It's available on American Rhetoric. Just look up John Denver at PMRC hearings. At number 11, we have Jethro Tull with their song Living in the Past. And that was as high as that would get. This was their first U.S. Top 40 hit for the band. The song was originally recorded and released in 1969 uh, in the U.K. It did not have a U.S. release till late 72. And that is one of two uh, Top 40 appearances for Jethro Tull. The song is notable for being in 5-4 time. And you can kind of hear that. Uh, Wikipedia states that it's a combination of 6-8 and 2-4 syncopation. So you can kind of feel it that way too. Finally, from the 70s this week, at number three, we have Billy Paul with Me and Mrs. Jones. That's on its way up to number one. This was his first charting single. It hit number one on the pop and the R&B side. And he went on to have a few more appearances on both of those different charts. Um, And I read this was that it's on the top 25 slow jams named by Essence Magazine. It was number three on that list. This is, uh, of course, a cheat. You can file this under a cheating song. And sometimes people in the AT40 tag get a little bit uh, persnickety about if songs are endorsing cheating. Although I, maybe they're doing it as a joke. I don't know. But the song is so great. It just The vocal is so amazing. And I love the arrangement. 
Billy Paul had a follow-up single called Am I Black Enough For You, which is also the title of a 2009 documentary that was made about him. And I definitely want to track that down because just looking through his Wikipedia page, it seemed really interesting. It seemed like a guy to know more about. He had gotten screwed out of some royalties by his label pretty badly and took going to court to get uh, Gamble and Huff to pay up for him. But yeah, that's really a beautiful song. Maybe it's already well known, but wanted to share it just in case it wasn't. Turning to the 80s, somebody at Sirius can't count. And they didn't understand that if you did a 1985 chart at the very tail end of December, if you did an 86 chart in January, it's going to be a lot of the same stuff. So not a lot to talk about from this one. At number 96, we have NXS with their song, What You Need. That would make it to number five. And that was kind of their breakout success in the U.S. It was the second single off of their fifth album overall, Listen Like Thieves. It was their second U.S. Top 40 appearance, but it was the hardest charting single to date. So it kind of preceded, the, you know, the next one that was going to come out was Kick, which is, of course, huge. This was kind of leading the way for that. And number 54 is Heart with the power ballad These Dreams. That would go on to make it to number one, and that was their first time topping the chart. It was the third single from their eighth studio album, simply called Heart. The song was written by Bernie Toppin and Martin Page, and it's notable for featuring a lead vocal by guitarist Nancy Wilson. And I read that she achieved the vocal style on this song because she had a cold at the time and later they tried to get her to can you sing like that again but it was kind of a lightning in a bottle situation with having that cold at number 39 uh, a song called sarah by starship that also made it to number one it was the second single from their first album as starship and it was the follow-up to we built this city which also went number one and I just did, a, I double checked and there had not had any number ones as Jefferson Airplane or Jefferson Starship. Kind of like, that's what it took? Okay. Uh, Mickey Thomas had lead vocal on this one. And I can remember seeing the music video for this. I, there must have been some show on one of the over the air channels we got. But I, this image of the golden heart locket in the dirt was just stuck in my mind. And I tried to track down this song for ages. I didn't know the band. I, all I knew it was this thing about Sarah. And I listened to the Fleetwood Mac version. I was like, well, no, that's not. That's a totally different song. And when I finally tracked it down again, it was very satisfying. So the links we used to have to go to to find music. And finally, from the 80s this week, at number 16, is When the Going Gets Tough, the Tough Get Going by Billy Ocean. That would make it to number two. And this was from the movie Jewel of the Nile. And it was also on Billy's sixth album, Love Zone. This was his only UK number one, but it was a hit all around the world. And the video features the actors from Jewel of the Nile. Well, that's about it for me this week. Thanks so much for listening. Back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. Awesome stuff, as always. I know I'd mentioned this uh, a few years back on the show when I'd covered Wilco's Solid Sound uh, Music Festival for Surviving the Golden Age, but... Um, I saw Jonathan Richmond perform during that festival, and he just had an acoustic guitar. I don't even know if he had, like, a microphone. He might have just stood at the edge of the stage and, and shouted. <laughs> but he covered he covered King Harvest dancing in the moonlight, and it was so great. Oh, my gosh, the whole crowd was singing along with him. I just had tears in my eyes, man. I loved it. That was quite a moment. I didn't think it would be so emotional seeing Jonathan Richmond perform, but he was just fantastic. And, uh... A once-in-a-lifetime sort of thing, I imagine. Unless, unless one day I get to see him again. 
Anyway, this has been episode 264 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace.